morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon as the case may be. Welcome to the other side of midnight, that kind of magical time between dusk and dawn where all kinds of things get talked about. And as I've said many, many, many times, those conversations have now leaked over into prime time, and it's literally now, if you watch uh, cable news or whatever, it's 24-7. It's really astonishing. I want to pick up before I introduce my guest tonight for the first hour, who is Whitley Strieber. We are incredibly lucky to get Whitley for an hour to talk about uh, 72 years of the UFO phenomenon since Roswell, which kind of mainstreamed in the sense of news this entire phenomenon, particularly encounters with beings and UFOs. I want to touch on a story that we talked about last night, uh, we discussed at great length the California earthquake and the aftershocks and the foreshocks and all that. Uh, something very interesting has occurred. The Naval Air Weapons Station at China Lake. Remember I told you last night that the Navy has probably the largest land holdings in the world at uh, China Lake, a, an area in the desert bigger than Rhode Island, is this top-secret uh, research and uh, air weapons testing facility. Anyway, they issued a press release uh, in the pre-dawn hours, and I'm going to read it to you because it's very important as context for the rest of the program. Naval Air Weapons Station China Lake is responding to a 5-magnitude earthquake at 8.16 p.m. and a 7.1-magnitude earthquake at 8.19 p.m. Pacific Time and multiple consistent aftershocks on July 5 following a 6.4-magnitude earthquake and numerous aftershocks on July 4. China Lake is not mission-capable until further notice. Let me repeat that. They're saying officially from the U.S. government, from the Navy, China Lake is not mission-capable until further notice. However, security protocols remain in effect. Safety of personnel is currently the highest priority. I'm reading from the base uh, press release. Non-essential active duty, drilling reservists, civilian employees, and dependents are authorized to evacuate to a radius of 100 miles from Safe Haven Naval Base Ventura County, NVBC. NVBC and its surrounding area is the preferred location for authorized evacuation on the basis of installation support surfaces. And this is not making major news. This is not being carried, as far as I can tell, by any of the major news services. It's kind of, frankly, very intriguing. And in my model, it fits in very closely with uh, what we were discussing last night, that these earthquakes in Southern California, beginning on the morning at 10.33 a.m. of July 4th, are not earthquakes at all, but some kind of either messaging, which is my preferred idea at the moment, or maybe some kind of outright attack. And uh, there's some, some reasons why I think that might be true, and I'll get into those when I introduce Whitley. So let me introduce my first guest of the morning. Whitley Strieber is the author of a communion series of books and many novels ranging from The Wolfen and The Hunger to The Greys and his exciting new Alan Hunter series. Communion, The Wolfen, The Hunger, and Superstorm have all been made into movies. Superstorm as the day after tomorrow. Whitley is a Texan, a proud Texan, and The Secret School has been listed by Texas Monthly among the top ten books written by Texans. 
Alien Hunter has been made into a TV series by the Sci-Fi Channel. The Greys is being made currently into a film. The Afterlife Revolution is Whitley's latest book, on sale from December 15, 2017. This book, written with Anne Streber and with a foreword by Dr. Gary Schwartz, unique in the world, as it has been created out of communications between Whitley and his wife Anne from across the bridge between the worlds of the living and the dead. Anne died on August 11, 2015, but soon returned in an absolutely unique and profoundly convincing way. What she did and what she brought from the core of the afterlife revolution. And anyway, without further ado, Whitley, welcome to the other side of midnight. Well, it's a pleasure, Dick. It's been a long time. Oh, you my. and I have had a little bit of water pass under both of our bridges. <laughs> uh, so good to be here. Well, it's great having you. And we only have you for an hour. So I'll tell you what I want to do. I want you to come back and talk about the book with, with Anne because I just lost Robin just a couple, three months yeah. ago, and it's, it's, it's awful. It is so, it's so indescribable, and I've been seeing clues. I've had one major event happen. An artifact appeared with a date and a time and an email trail and all that. So I know she's out there, but the communication has been, shall we say, radically diminished, and now there's nothing, and uh, that, that deserves a whole three hours. So let's kind of set that aside as something we ought to you know, do do for a future time. I, I, we should revisit, definitely. Yep, yep. I want to talk to you, speaking of water under bridges, it was 72 years tonight that a New Mexican rancher down south of me here in the Land of Enchantment, I'm up north of, uh, of Albuquerque, kind of uh, on the way to Sandia and uh, uh, Los Alamos, and this happened down at a little place called Roswell, which frankly, I think, changed history. And you got deeply involved in that and ensuing events. You're, you're something of what they call an experiencer, which I find, uh, you know, we are coining all these new terms in social media now. There are influencers. Have you seen those lately? People who are no... No, I'm not into social media at all. I, 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 I have a Facebook page and a Twitter feed that my website gets onto, but I don't, I mean, in other words, things that happen on my website go on there, but I don't go on there very much. Well, I, rarely, once a, you know, once a month. Me too, me too. You know, I don't, I don't even have a, a cell phone, all right? So uh, I, I try to, when I'm away, I want to be really away. I don't want to be reachable. I want to be kind of persona non whatever, and um, I like landlines. <laughs> anyway, um, we have 72 years to kind of encapsulate in an hour. Where are we 72 years after Roswell? And I presume most people know what happened in Roswell 72 years ago tonight. Uh, something happened during a thunderstorm. Wreckage, debris of, was found by the rancher the next day on his ranch. Um, the local Air Force base eventually initially said it was a UFO because back in those days, 1947, July 47, UFOs were all over the news. And then the Air Force officially changed and released a, a, a statement saying that, oh, it was just a weather balloon. And thereby right. began the cover-up. So where are we 72 processional years after that event long ago? Well, I think the two things are, are coming into confluence together. The first one is, obviously, the planet's environment is in trouble, and so are we. 
what happened a few months ago, a few weeks ago in Europe and, and then also in Alaska is a sign of things to come, specifically... You mean the drastic, the drastic heat waves? Yes, the weakening of the Gulf Stream has caused a corresponding wobbling and weakening of the jet stream, which is the air currents that are basically that flow around the northern and southern hemispheres, but talking about the northern hemisphere jet stream. And the result of this is that desert air from the Middle East penetrated all the way up into northern and central, central and northern Europe um, that, if you look into this more deeply, you'll find that the entire Middle East is suffering under extraordinary heat. Uh, there are water shortages occurring in different places, uh, and I think yesterday uh, Anchorage, Alaska, reached a, a temperature of 90 degrees for the first time in recorded since the temperature has been recorded there. So this is all happening, and it's likely to increase in intensity. And when, as, as it does, there's going to be more social and uh, political upheaval on Earth among us. And I think in the whole context, context of this, at some point, probably not right away, but soon, when we, are, we know we are in desperate straits, our visitors are going to show up, for better or for worse, offering either a Trojan horse or a helping hand or both, and we'll have to just wait and see what happens. Mm. So I, I think that's kind of where we are now. How we got here, uh, everybody's going to be pointing a finger at each other. They always do about global warming, blaming each other, but the simple reason is the way the human body is designed, this was inevitable and has been inevitable for, for thousands of years. And we have come to a point of climax and culmination that has absolutely nothing to do with anything anybody has done. It's a, it's a side effect of population overgrowth, and we're designed, maybe by nature and maybe by somebody, I don't know, uh, to do this. Uh, we have no hair. Our genitals are placed on the fronts of our bodies, unlike other animals, including the, most of the apes. Uh, we have excellent memories. Uh, we have extreme differences in our sexual appearance, the, men, the males and the females. And we have no seasonality. You add all of that up together, and you're going to get a lot of babies out of it, and that's exactly what's happened. Hmm. So, you know, when people point their fingers at each other, I say, wait a minute, let's work together, because this isn't anybody's fault. It's the fault of the way we are. Now, if somebody designed us to be that way, this way, maybe it's a cosmic practical joke. If n nature did it, then I'm not too surprised, because uh, nature does things like that. We, you know, it, 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 nature always seeks balance, but it often has to go through very unbalancing states before it finally comes to balance. And so, in any case, it's where we are. It's what we've got. And whoever is here, 
is either if they may be altruistic, they may be opportunistic, or probably parts of both. But I think they intend to show up when we are in an extreme crisis, and I don't think we're all that far from it. Hmm. Well, this whole idea of um, of um, you know the earthquakes in California not being natural. Let me let me tell you one of the key reasons that I think uh, this is this is what's going on. One is the first quake on on uh, Thursday morning, the July 4th quake, occurred at a depth of 6.6 miles. The second quake, the bigger one, occurred at a depth of 0.6 miles. And that interval is an exact interval, and you can't get major shocks at 6, uh, 0.6 miles because the Earth is not under enough pressure for when strata break for them to release that much energy. The other thing is the one, the earthquake on Friday night occurred at 2019 on the 24-hour clock. And I've been following, of course, as my audience knows for many, many decades, this physics, the hyperdimensional torsion field physics model. And a key indicator of that model is the number 19.5, which is the inscribed angle of a tetrahedron in a sphere like a rotating planet like the Earth, uh, where Hawaii is the energy upwelling point in this model. The great red spot is the upwelling point in 19.5 on Jupiter, etc., etc. Even the great star spot on Betelgeuse, that brilliant red star, supergiant star 1,500 light years away, that's at 19.5. So it's a natural energy flow, and when you add 20 and 19, the time of this earthquake, and divide by 2, it's 19.5. So someone, I think, was messaging that this physics was being used to do this, and the China Lake Station now has been evacuated of all non-essential personnel within a radius of 100 miles, and the major news networks and you know facilities, agencies, are not talking about this at all. I think this is... You know, is, what's go ahead. strange about that is this. If this is something natural, then... Why evacuate the air station because the, 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 the facility because we don't know where the next earthquake may be. Unless they know for certain that the facility is in jeopardy, there would be no point in evacuating it. Hmm. Well this to me is kind of fits in my model for you know what was going on in Washington on July fourth evening. Remember for months and months now the president this president has planned a major military demonstration during a July 4th speech on the Mall. And, of course, there's been tremendous controversy, pro and con, over, you know, Trump deciding to do this. One wonders if these directed, you know, events are part of, uh, you know, some effort to basically dissuade him from doing something really dumb and stupid militarily. I don't know, but it's just something really odd about that press release because... I, you know, I keep returning to the fact that you're not, you know, there's no, nobody's telling the entire population to evacuate. It's as if they know something could jeopardize that particular point. Yep, yep. And, and therefore it's in danger and they've asked their personnel to leave. I just, and said it's not, it's, it's not mission capable at this time. That's not a response to a natural earthquake. It's a response to something else. Exactly. Either something at the facility was damaged in, and, and it's, 
it could get away from them, a la Chernobyl or something, mm -hmm. or some, something else is going on. I, I, you're, you're right to be concerned about it, Dick, because the press release doesn't make sense unless there's something they're not telling us. Well, the good news is we have actually one of my uh, frequent guests lives not far, maybe a hundred and some miles from this location, and she said that she felt very exotic physiological things when the second earthquake, the one at uh, 2019 on Friday night, occurred. And this is someone who worked for Manley Hall. She's a metaphysician. She's been engaged in consciousness studies for decades, and she, she feels these things. And she said that she was in her bathroom giving her Great Dane a drink out of the sink, and she felt this weirdness, and then a second later, the shocks, the actual rolling ground motion began. So she sensed something consciously before the actual earthquake uh, evidence arrived through the seismic waves. Yeah, I had a, I was having something going on in the days before, and on July the 3rd, I was in uh, Sequoia National Park with some friends who wanted to go into the Crystal Cave, which is a cave down in there, a beautiful cave. And we went down there uh, to, to the Crystal Cave, which is a fairly daunting journey. You, it's, you start out at about 5,200 feet and go downhill half a mile for, um, to, to 4,800 feet and then go in the cave. But there are a lot of people do it. It's, there's park, park rangers supervising and everything. There's nothing dangerous about it. But I just felt terribly uneasy, and I didn't go in the cave because I felt like there was something about to happen in the, along the lines of an earthquake. And I thought to myself, if something traps these people in this cave, I want to be on the outside so I can go get help. Because they won't have any way to communicate until somebody figures out they're not coming back and, and comes looking for them, and that could take it days. You don't know no, no, how, how long that will take. So I stayed outside the cave. And nothing happened on the 3rd, but then lo and behold, the next day, this happened. And I thought to myself, you know, I knew this was going to happen. I, I, I'm never like that. I'm not an earthquake predictor or anything, and I'm not a prophet. So it was quite unusual in my life. But I, I did, I, it was so strong that I couldn't ignore it, and I acted on it. You know, I have this weird model, and I've had it for like three years, as I've watched uh, the president go through these extraordinary gyrations, exceeding the bounds of any, quote, normal presidential behavior, the very unusual liaison between him and Putin. I've been wondering if this is actually a, a visible symptom of an invisible set of events that we're not supposed to know about, which is that behind the scenes, they know that something big in the extraterrestrial realm is about to happen, and all of what we're seeing, this non-stop 24-7 soap opera, including the flyovers of the mall and the tanks and all that, is all diversion to keep us from knowing that we're reaching some kind of um, denouement on this 72-year-old story. Well, it could be that, that if there is something coming, and they do know about it, uh, that, you know, I reflect on Ronald Reagan's statement at the U.N. Exactly, that yeah, that was, I was thinking Something about. like this would would uh, would unite the world, and it could be that that's happening. But I, 
I don't know. I I am uh, uh, very unsure about what's going on. I'm not. I don't follow politics much. I'm aware of it. I I know that a lot. Of, there's a lot of controversy about uh, about Ron, uh, excuse me, Donald Trump and and about his relationship with Vladimir Putin and so on and so forth. But I don't know enough about it, frankly, except to say that you know I'll get out of the way if it looks like it's coming after me. That's all I can say. Uh, but it, it could be that there was some kind of subsurface thing going on that would would explain what is actually a very unusual sort of relationship. Uh, that there no president has ever had a relationship like this with one of the Russian dictators. None, none, zero. But it none. follows the Reagan Gorbachev model. Remember when they were in Reykjavik? I mean, we're talking now in the late '80s, guys. For those of you that don't remember. And we were or weren't born. Or weren't born. We, 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 we were negotiating a, a, a major treaty to basically limit an escalating nuclear weapons runaway. And in Reykjavik, they both discussed, both Gorbachev and Reagan, the idea of an ET alien threat. And that was the kind of frame of their conversation where they were discussing literally eliminating all nuclear weapons at that point. Remember that? Oh, yeah. But, you know, I know a lot of history. I've studied history, and in particular military history, all of my life. And I'll tell you one thing, that you cannot win a war unless you can reach the enemy's supply lines. There's no way. It won't happen. As long as he wishes to bother you, he will continue to do so unless you can interrupt his supply lines. And right now, I don't see any, I, don't, I could be wrong, but I don't see that we have any capability of interrupting the supply lines of somebody who's coming from another planet or God knows another universe. So I think that resistance would be a, a very ephemeral and temporary affair uh, if no. indeed it is, a, it, it is an invasion of some kind that is, you know, that has as its objective some sort of subjugation of mankind. Well, remember... We're going to lose that. Yeah, Trump said very early on in his presidency he wanted to create something called a space force. Yes. And I've been watching this like a hawk, a Horace hawk, because that is so anomalous. You know, our technology, the public technology, not the private stuff, the black ops stuff, but Newtonian... 5,000-year-old rocket technology is so in, inept and so stupid to even think about in terms of counteracting, you know, aliens that have anti-gravity. Um, there just seemed to me to be another kind of diversion, maybe a window to ultimately opening the door to the fact that we have technologies that can do exactly what this phenomenon has reported to be able to do over the last 70-plus years, and it's been top secret, deep black, deep, deep state, etc., whatever you want to call it, and this whole Space Force thing is the way of plausibly, deniably, deniably bringing out this secret technology to the you know, public uh, forum. Well, you know, um, Richard Dolan talks about uh, breakaway civilization and uh, with advanced technology, and I've had some indications in my life that something like that might exist in the sense that this implant, I 
for those of you folks who don't know, in May of 1989, an object was placed in my in the peanut, the top of my left ear, uh, which uh, short about two years later, I attempted to get it removed, and it moved down into my earlobe when the surgeon's knife touched it, and it, one of the reasons I attempted to get it removed is that it was turning on from time to time, and when it did turn on, my ear got very red, and uh, obviously it was generating some kind of an energy, and I was concerned about that being next door to my brain. Mm. And uh, in fact, I was at the Southwest Research Institute once with the then director of material science, William Mallow, who was a dear friend, and Bill and I were in his office, and I was talking about it, and it promptly turned on. <laughs> and he saw the year turn bright red, and they had a signals acquisition laboratory there. We rushed into the signals acquisition lab, and they did pick up a signal. Unfortunately, the lab's equipment is classified, and the lab is classified, so I found out that they picked up a very unusual signal, but they couldn't tell me anything else about it. So... It's there. Now, it was put in, the point is this, it was put in by two people who came into my bedroom in the middle of the night at my country house in, in north of New York City on a warm May night. The windows were all open. I heard a vehicle approach with its lights off. It had gotten past a very considerable gate, and it had... Uh, come into the driveway there it was a gravel drive and I could hear the tires crunching I immediately went for a bank of switch light switches and I when I glimpsed these two people coming in the, the the room the alarm system was on it had not been tripped it was still red I instead started to go from the shotgun that I held, had under the bed as you imagine if you know my history mm. I was rather well prepared by by 89 for any kind of intrusion they reached the bed before I could do anything and immobilized me somehow I could no longer see I was lying on my left lying on my right side and there was pressure being applied to the left side of my head uh, the, the, there was a man and a woman who came in and the woman's voice was speaking very gently and softly I don't know what she was saying and uh, the, I suppose the man was the one who was pressing on my head. A few minutes later, uh, as they, just before they came in, as I opened my eyes, realizing that when I hear, heard the noise, a male voice out in the backyard said, condition red. And then, they, then this all transpired that I just described. Uh, then there was a flash of light, and... The man and woman were gone. I could move again. There was a great deal of crashing in the woods, uh, like people running wildly through the woods. And then it ended. I grabbed my pistol. I, I had a shotgun under the bed and a pistol in my drawer beside the bed. And, uh, you know, you don't fool with Texans. <laughs> if, if, if we, do, we do do guns. And so uh, I, it was a nice shot shotgun a Benelli and anyone who knows sh shotguns knows what that shotgun is generally used for riot control anyway I had an AMG backup in the in the 
bedside table, which is a very effective little gun if you know how to use it. So I was ran through the house with the backup in my hand, and I went to, through the basement, the whole house, and attic. There was no breach, no breach of the alarm system at all. And so I just sat there on the side of the bed thinking, this must be what a lucid dream is about, because mm. it was incredibly lucid. Next morning, I found that the uh, garage door was wide open, and which was impossible for that to be open without the tripping the alarm system, which was still armed. So I disarmed the system and called the alarm man, who came rushing over, and discovered that there was a huge magnetic field in the garage, so big that even the, though the door was wide open, the, the, it, the switch had not tripped because the magnetic field had not been broken. Oh, my. So we'll hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Whitley Strieber. We're talking about, uh, well, unusual exotic experiences that Whitley has had, which are provable scientifically because there's something buried in his skull above one ear making strange signals to top-secret equipment that can't be used to describe what's going on. We're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, July 7th, the 72nd anniversary of Roswell, the Roswell incident, which began, in essence, the modern UFO phenomenology, although there's a certain guy in Washington who saw flying things around the mountains that uh, actually kicked it off earlier in 1947, but for most people now, Roswell is synonymous with, uh, with well, what we think of as the UFO phenomenon. Whitley, it seems to me that the folks that entered your sanctum sanctorum 
and who were, shall we say, uninvited, were very right. human. They were human. They were. I, rec- I could. I could recognize them to this day. It was fairly dark in the room, but the light, the red LED, I saw them clearly. Anyway, uh, I tried to get it removed. It's in my ear, by the way, not in my skull. It's in the top of my ear. You can feel it easily if you touch it. Um, but, uh, and when, I, when the surgeon's scalpel touched it, it went down, ran down into, the ear, into my earlobe, and he was not informed of what it might be. In other words, it was not like Roger Lear or somebody. It was just a regular doctor. And he, he said, well, this isn't what I thought it might be. It, it, clearly, this is not something I can deal with, and sewed it up. And then he became aware of communion, and he said, you know, I thought I recognized you before. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what this was. And he had a piece of it, which he sent to a pathologist, and it promptly ended up at Southwest Research, and I was informed that it was a metallic base. He had a little sliver of it that he'd gotten off with his scalpel. Oh, really? Yeah. And I I was informed that it was a metallic base and that had protonaceous cilia, it was the phrase, coming out of it. So it was was an organic metallic fusion of something? It was a a bio-organic, it was a a biologically, a bio device. It was ah. a device that was part biology and part organic. Oh my and God. nothing that we do. It, it was absolutely not something of ours. But the whole long story short is of this, there's nothing alien in this. I've always thought that there might have been something else in the room, but I never saw anything except the two people. But uh, if Hoagland is right, and these people came from a breakaway civilization, there was no scarring they, they pushed this thing right through the skin without opening it. Hmm. In other words, it was a little sore the next afternoon when I finally felt it, thought to feel it. Uh, but it, it, there was no scar, there was no blood, nothing, no incision, no sign of anything. And so it, that is in it of itself. And then it's a biological metallic device, a, a, a part organic and part metallic. Whatever it is is incredibly advanced, and even the way they put it in me is incredibly advanced. And, and my wife used to say, "You know, Whitley, they wanted you to know this. They wouldn't have approached you; would never have even known they were there if they had not wanted you to know." Because after a while, I began to notice that I could use the device in certain ways, and then in the past few years, I noticed that. I began to really learn how to use it, uh, and when I, if if I am working like writing something, and it doesn't matter whether it's on this subject or not, what happens is a, a slit opens up in the, my field of vision of my right eye, and through this slit, I see words typed in, actually typed words racing past faster than I can actually read them, except. You know, just snatches. And I've talked to a neurologist about this, and he thinks, and I think he might be right, that I can see when I'm working. This will do, when I'm not working, it doesn't do it. 
but when I'm working writing something, it does it. And the few words I'm able to pick up are like related to what I'm working on, but not directly. And it's like something that is giving me subliminal suggestions that expand and perhaps channel my thought process. So it's a very sophisticated tool, and frankly, I, I like using it now. I've learned how to use it, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I, it, it makes me into a much better writer than I was before, that's for sure. I, had a, I wrote a, a long, complex historical novel called In Hitler's House, under a pseudonym of Jonathan Lane, simply because, you know, I'm not, it, it's not exactly what people would expect from Whitley Strieber, and people get easily confused, so I, it's an open pseudonym, anyone who cares, I'm not hiding anything. But anyway, I used the implant during the writing of this, and I got, it's a sort of faux memoir of someone who was intimately connected with Hitler from 1931 up to the end of the war. And uh, it, it has to be written, had to be written as if, the person had actually experienced life in that period. and So it's I an analog to your majestic about Roswell. Yeah, in a way, yeah. But I don't think the implant had anything to do with majestic. Actually, it may have, because it was, I believe it was in there by then. Yes, it was in there when I was writing majestic. Mm. Now, that's interesting, because I had never really thought about that. I wonder if some of the material in majestic came from the implant. Well, let me tell you from... why I really resonated with Majestic, and I knew then at that point that you were 100% telling the truth about all this, because the remember when you had the lieutenant inside the ship, and he's gone for like 20 minutes, and he comes out, and all his guys are freaking out, because he's been gone for like a day or so? The time yeah. differential between inside and that's the physics, the hyperdimensional torsion field physics I've been measuring with the Akatron at all these sacred sites around the world with Robin. Time slows down. It's a flux of the field. It's, it's, it's very malleable if you have the right technology. And it sounds to me like these guys and the other guys upstairs, they all have this technology, and publicly we claim to know nothing about it. Well, interesting, because uh, certainly the... the uh, material in Majestic. A lot of it, I thought, came from Art Exxon. But I, a lot of it didn't, and I don't really know where it came from. Uh, some of it doesn't seem like my imagination, uh, like the, uh, the, the, the character uh, uh, the, the, who is a fisherman, the main character, he's an angler. Right. And it turns out to be based on James Angleton, who was involved in this, until he got off this died down and started to go nowhere because nobody could figure anything out about it and he got himself moved off onto the soviet russia desk uh because he you know that was where the action was the james CIA jesus days. angleton yes hmm. and uh uh he but he he's the he's the model for that character ah. and the reason i know that is one of his relatives read the book and wrote me an email saying that he was surprised that I had modeled uh, this character off of his relative. And I have to be very careful about names because, you know, anyone who's been connected with intelligence, you don't want to spout their names out. His, the last name of this person was not Angleton, I hasten to add. 
in any case, and I, I and I thought to myself, my God, and I looked into Angleton's life, and and my character is Angleton, huh. and I didn't even know it at the time, not consciously, and yet he was in that position in the Central Intelligence Agency at the time, apparently. So through this uh, implant, is it possible someone is feeding you, <laughs> pun intended, inside information? That's not a road I want to go down, but I would assume so. Okay. Well, we don't have time. We'll do a lot more when we, you're able to come back. Let me let me yeah. flash forward now from 47 to 89 to the evening of July 7th in 2019. If, if Dolan is correct, if there's a human outgrowth of our civilization post-World War II with all of these toys, all of these technologies, and they're able basically to keep us confined on the farm, you know, Alex Jones' prison planet model, if we're about to break out of prison for whatever reason, would it be in their best interest to kind of up the ante in terms of messaging to say, oh, no, boys and girls, you're staying right there with Newtonian physics? I don't know. I, I don't know what would happen if the general, broad general scientific community knew there was more to this stuff than they think. And if they then started studying it and getting granted in it, because getting grants to study any of this stuff is terribly difficult. Uh, if not, in fact, it's impossible for the most part. But it would become a, a, a fountain of grant money as soon as there was any confirmation whatsoever. And... and when that happened, who knows what these people, some of them extremely brilliant and filled with innovative, creative uh, understanding of, of physics and biology and all every science there is, who knows what they might come up with? And if somebody is trying to control this and channel it all, they might be very worried about that because they might realize that Somebody somewhere is going to come up with something that's better than what they can do. Okay. And that would in inevitably happen. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time, so I want to get to what I really wanted to ask you, and obviously we'll do a lot more in depth when you're able to come back. But in the last couple, three years, since December of 2017, when the New York Times broke this story of this Pentagon study uh, funded by Senators Harry Reid and the guy from Alaska, Senator Stevens, and I think John McCain was in on it and all that. A 20-plus million dollar study in the Pentagon, buried deeply, headed by a guy named Louis Elizondo, who's now broken ranks, retired from the military, leading a civilian effort through uh, corroboration with a, with a rock star, Tom DeLong, And they've got a television series on History Channel now called The Uninvestigated. And, um, I'm sorry, The Unidentified. And it basically is laying out as if none of this prehistory, Whitley, had happened, the idea of the U.S. government and the military, the DOD, coming to the realization that someone is out there, something is flying around in our skies, and it has plausible deniability in Hollywood-type high sign letters written all over it. It looks to me, my impression is, it's the beginning of, quote, disclosure. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm, I've heard that Louis Elizondo's uh, funding was 
was pulled by the uh, House. Uh, I guess it must have been the House. The, the House. Uh, this was the Senate. Senate yeah. was funding it. Oh well, the Senate Intelligence Committee then. Yeah. Because fundamentalist Christians on the committee said they didn't want our scientists fooling around with alien technology. And that's that come out. That them. that has come out in the television series that there are high-level people in the Pentagon who basically want this cut down because of the fundamental Christian. Uh, idea that we're dealing with demonology. Well, I was told that from the beginning that that uh, uh, Curtis LeMay and others in the in the in the high levels in the Air Force fought that, and that that if you get into that very deeply, you find that the way to deal with demons is to ignore them, and that means that the. That makes it. That explains perhaps the Air Force's ignoring them and ignoring the whole thing and and denying everything from the get go, and the Navy, which I would guess from the way they're reacting, isn't quite as doesn't have quite the same ideas. A little more open about it, but you know, no one has even said since this all of this footage from the Navy has been released. No one's, it's never occurred to anyone in the media, apparently, to say, well, wait a minute, what about you, U.S. Air Force? You must have even more footage. Where is it? Yep. And nobody, you know, that never comes up. Well, because it looks like they're pretending to be dumb. I mean, this is the overall impression. I've now watched six or seven yeah, of these episodes. It's like they're pretending. That's exactly right. That's well said. They are pretending to be dumb, I think. And the question I have is how many Americans in this day and age who don't trust government on anything how many are going to buy the idea, oh my gosh, look over there, we never knew this existed? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We've known it existed for a long, long time. General Exxon told me, in fact, that in 1988, he was still consulting with the scientific group that had was working on this at that time and the reason was that during the Roswell period when he was actively involved up until 1963 so much of what they did was so secret that it was not committed to paper at all there was no written record and therefore individuals who had been involved had to go to this committee at Wright Pat frequently in order to inform them verbally of what had been said and done. Well, that's the way to keep a secret. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the reasons you can't find anything. But another thing that happened was that uh, when uh, 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 Con- Congressman Schiff from New Mexico, your current stomping ground, Stephen Schiff, att- right, it attempted to get information about this via using the GAO, it ended up that all of the records from Roswell, from the Roswell Army Airfield from 1947 to 1952, had disappeared. You you can't find so much as a record of a paperclip requisition. It's gone. (laughs) Every, yeah, exactly. Every single thing is gone. And that is extremely unusual it wasn't lost it had to have been removed because they had a, in the, in those days it was all paper records 
They were all stored in a huge facility in St. Louis that in, in the 70s uh, burned. And uh, I'm sure I would suspect that those records were there. And maybe it, it burned, incidentally, right uh, at about the same time the Freedom of Information Act was being passed. Oh, how curious. <clears throat> yes. And I have a feeling that a lot of things that they did absolutely not want to turn up about this and many other subjects were in that fire, in my opinion. And it's just an opinion, and I don't have any proof, and I wouldn't make any assertions. But uh, it seems extremely convenient. In this model that they're playing dumb, you know, imagining people will forget 70 years of history in this, something very curious has been happening in the last several weeks. This current president, Donald Trump, was asked now twice by major mainstream news reporters, George Stephanopoulos, ABC News, and Tucker Carlson, Fox News, in separate conversations, lengthy interviews, have brought up the whole UFO thing and asked Trump's opinion, and his answers are so intriguing in the plausible deniability model. Now, you say you don't follow politics. Well, I do. Because I have a feeling, and I'm going to talk to Bassett in the next couple hours about this, that Trump is the guy who's going to bring disclosure by pretending to know nothing. That's what his statement says. I don't believe in it. I've heard some stories. You know, I'm, I'm interested in evidence, but I don't believe in it. I'm paraphrasing. If he is convinced publicly there's something there with all these briefings now going on of Senate and House members on the Hill from this... Uh, uh, to the Stars campaign, this new DOD initiative, the Navy, those those videos, etc. At some point, as a surrogate for the American people, he can claim as the new kid on the block, the outsider, the quintessential outsider. I did not know, but he can launch investigations that will keep the political structure skirts squeaky clean, mixing our metaphors madly, while unearthing what, in fact, may be going on and again, California could be part of someone saying, oh, no, you're not going to do that. Well, I feel this. I feel that no president will ever admit that this is real if he has been thoroughly briefed about it. Uh, I think that I'm not sure that I have the reasons straight and completely right, but I'm fairly sure that an admission like that might be viewed as a kind of trigger point that would cause a lot of things to change very suddenly, and I, I just do not believe that would happen. I, I know that uh, John Podesta begged Barack Obama to do it and said, in fact, when he left, left his, his, his position in the White House, his greatest regret was that Obama had not released the UFO information. I know that the Clintons looked into it because they went to a friend of mine, Lawrence... Yeah, McNally, the whole, the whole Rockefeller Initiative, which we've discussed. Yeah, in right. Yeah, and, and he, he, they... Rockefeller brought it up at dinner with them. He said to me and Anne, and John Mack was there, and a couple other people. Um, and I don't want to make it out like I'm, I was a bosom buddy with Lawrence Rockefeller. I was not. I just had a brief acquaintance with him. But this is what he said. 
he said that he had invited the Clintons to his ranch in, I believe, Montana. And he, uh, at dinner, he brought it up at dinner, the whole question, the UFO question. And the next morning, Hillary came down from dinner and said, from bre to breakfast and said, we would not like, to, we would prefer that you don't bring that subject up again. And, you know, the first lady's asking him not to talk about it, so he didn't talk about it. But then, uh, while they were out horseback riding, Clinton, so he said, the president. Said a very the president said a very interesting thing. He said, you know, I don't want to fool with that subject because it's a tar baby. Now, oh my. that is, now, uh, before any members of the black community hear this, get their backs up, that is a reference to an Uncle Ramus story, which is a part of black folklore in Arizona. I mean, in, uh, in Arkansas, excuse me, where uh, Rare Rabbit is going along the road's road, and he says hello to this, good morning to this figure made of tar on the roadside. And the figure, when he doesn't answer, Br'er Rabbit gets mad and starts socking him. And the more he socks him, the more he gets tangled up mm, in the tar. Plastic metaphor. And it, Yeah, exactly. And so it's a very apt metaphor. But then Clinton and, himself, when he gave the speech in Belfast, remember, toward the very end of his presidency, he brought up Roswell. He brought up a fictional letter from a from someone out there wanting to know the truth, etc., he brought it up himself in public. Yeah, and and exactly. And over the years, time and again, as they have gotten older, especially as they've gotten older, people who know a lot about these things, uh, Major then Colonel Jesse Marcel or Art Exon's a good example. Uh, Art talked not just to me, but to... Uh, uh, Kevin Randall and and Don Schmidt and uh, Santon Friedman and other people. Uh, so it, they they want to let it out. They, there's something about well. Remember, during, and we don't have a lot of time here, so I'm going to interrupt you. During the campaign, Podesta was Hillary's campaign manager. He comes off being working with Obama, saying the thing he was most unhappy about is he couldn't get the president to do something on this. It comes out during Hillary's campaign. Uh, Steve Bassett, of course, assumed that if Hillary was going to win, it would be Disclosure City. And she briefs uh, some editorial board in New York State about this. That news breaks. They're escalating intimations that she's really on this topic. The thing that struck me was her opponent, who was doing anything and would do anything to win, as we now know, Donald Trump never used the ridicule card during the campaign about Hillary's interest in silly UFOs. This is a guy who just told Stephanopoulos, I don't believe that stuff. Why did he hold back? I think this is entirely a calculated shaggy dog story so he can disclose this as Mr. Clean from outside. Well, you know, I years ago, I... I wrote a short story called The Open Doors, which is a science fiction story based on the idea that they can't enter our world unless they enter our minds. In other words, we have to believe they're as real as a door or another person or, the, or, the, or, the, or anything. 
and most of us don't have that level of belief. Well, wait, wait, wait. That's back to the Christian idea that if you don't allow demons in consciously, they can't affect you. Yes, it is. It is back to that idea. And it relates to that idea. And after all, whoever said that idea was necessarily wrong. Yeah. It might not be wrong. It might not be wrong. Well, if we're dealing with trans-dimensional entities, beings, consciousness, and technology and 3D stuff is only a subset, it, it, it probably is much not wrong. Right. It could very well not be wrong. In any case, then Trump comes up, Hillary Clinton does not win, to everybody's great surprise. Therefore, this whole disclosure process that uh, that she was planning never happens and what does the president who does win say he says the exact thing that is designed to keep that door closed i don't believe it yep now in my model and that's plausible to not keep, that's, listen maybe we want to keep that door closed i don't know well having more experience with this than anybody i know whitley if you don't know who is going to know well, I, let me put it this way. I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit disingenuous. <laughs> I think we should be awfully careful about this. That's different. Because there is something out there, and for some reason, it hasn't entered our world yet, how and do you, we don't how, know wait, 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 why. Wait, 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 how do you know it hasn't? There's all kinds of no, evidence it, that it, it enters it, our world all the time. Yes, but not in an overt way where you you can't get a you can't get them out of your kitchen. Where it takes control yeah. of civilization and it's mainstream and it's on the evening news, that kind of thing. It, it takes control of us. That has not happened hmm. on an overt level. Maybe on a covert level, it has. I don't know, but not on an overt level. And if it may not be something we would want to happen, and if there is some kind of a trigger like that then thank God no president has, has pulled it. Well, well, well. That's an interesting note to leave on. I'm sorry you have to yeah, leave well, us. I, yeah. I'm very iffy about disclosure. I, I, think it's, I think we need to think very carefully about what we're playing with here because we could be playing with fire. This is why we need a public discussion up and down everywhere, I think. I think so, too. Ultimately, if we're constitutional, that, it's got to go that way. Hey, Whitley, thank you so much for dropping in. An hour went by all too quickly. Um, I, I, I really would like to have you come back when we have time, because I want to talk yeah, about Yeah, but I'm not out. I'm in a country with dicey communications <laughs> in an unair-conditioned house in Texas in the middle of the summer. Oh, my that God. Would be, then that's, that's the next. We'll do it in the fall. <laughs> okay. Hey, Whitley, thank you so much for coming thank on the you. other side, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Well, I must say that was a fascinating conversation, a window into all kinds of things that we're going to kick around in the next couple hours. We're going to come back, and uh, I'll have Steve Bassett, and I'll have Joe Bookman, and we will do exactly that. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.